41 of Tea or Books. I'm Simon. I'm Rachel. Um, and in today's episode, we'll be discussing novels set um, over one day versus those set over many years, um, and the Catulet Chronicles uh, versus the Forsyth Saga, or more specifically, the first book of each of those series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't read all of them. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's A Man of Property by John Goldsworthy from the Forsyth Saga, and The Light Years by Elizabeth Jane Howitt from the Catulet Chronicles. Um, I don't think we've ever done more reading for an episode. <laughs> They're long books. <laughs> um, before we do that, Rachel, um, how are you and what are you reading? I'm very well, thank you. Though um, Obviously, we're both dying of heat wave at the moment. Oh, it's and awful. <laughs> for people who think that England never gets hot, I can tell you it does. It's been 32 degrees in London today, and let me tell you, uh, this city is not set up for hot weather. We have zero air conditioning anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. My, my office, thankfully, has air conditioning, which I was bragging about just before we started, which, I mean, my previous office did not, and it was miserable in summer, and I'm so happy <laughs> Yeah, you're a lucky man. I mean, my classroom was already hotter than outside when I was in it by myself, and then when the children came in, it got like 10 degrees warmer because they're teenagers and they're just exuding heat. Um, and so it got halfway through the lesson and I just thought, I'm, go- I'm actually, I'm going to faint. They all look like they're going to die. Um, it was most unpleasant. I've had a very sticky day. But oh. other than that, you know, <laughs> loving the summertime. It was lovely at lunchtime well, being outside. My company has um, a lot of people who work, work in the office in Oxford who aren't British and a lot of them have come, you know, from very hot countries. And so they're, they're very, they keep asking for the air conditioning to be turned off and talking about how it's fine. And I'm just looking at them and be like, do not touch that air conditioning. <laughs> I will exactly. kill you. <laughs> These are people who are still wearing jumpers when it's 30 degrees and saying it's a bit chilly out. I, I wore shorts to work, unashamed. Really? <laughs> I did. Good for you. I know, I've, I've got my legs out now, so the time has <laughs> come. No more tights. But it's, you know, it's very nice and I'm very lucky because I, I work in one of the, um, the squares in London that's got a, 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 a kind of private garden in the middle. Um, and we have a key to the private garden in the middle. So we get to be all smug and, um, nice. walk in and clang the gate shut behind on the try and bustle in after us. So we've got a nice shady space to be at lunchtime, which is good. Um, but um, and t- tonight I went to the river um, and sat under a tree and read um, my book that I'm currently reading, which is another Elizabeth Strout, which is oh, called. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just I can't get enough, Simon. It's called My Name Is Lucy Barton, and it's the previous book to Anything Is Possible, which I read before. So I've sort of read them in the wrong order, but it doesn't matter. Um, and it's it's fantastic. I'm just whipping through it, especially after I've just. You know, slogged my way through um, the Foresight Saga, which I say slogged, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it was long. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it's a nice light reading comparison. And I've also just finished reading um, this little plug for the Carnegie Award, um, which is a Children's Literature Prize in the UK. They actually, uh, both of the prizes this year were won by Americans. Um, it's been opened up to America, to people all over the world now. Uh, where the book um, leads, they follow. Well, indeed. And um, I have been very much enjoying reading the shortlist with some of my kids at school. And the winner was Salt to the Sea, which I just finished reading by Rita Sepetis. And it's a very good book and not just for children. So I do recommend it. It's about um, the sinking of a ship called the Wilhelm Gottsberg. Apologies to anyone German who's listening to this. Um, that happened during World War Two, and it was a, a ship, a German ship that was evacuating um, German re- uh, German people who were escaping from the Red Army. And there were about nine thousand people on board, and it got torpedoed, and most of them died. And it's actually the worst maritime disaster in history, and um, it's very not chronicled really at all. No, so it's, it's yeah, well, I hadn't either. So it's a novel telling the stories of various young people who are who've been you know journeying through Germany to get to the ports and, and get away um and it's yeah it's a really heart heart-rending actually but a lovely book so I would recommend that highly well speaking of heart-rending I've just um finished When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanathi Oh, gosh, I saw that and thought I couldn't bear it. Yeah, so I mean, everyone was reading it a while ago. Um, my my colleague Kate was reading it, um, and I mentioned they looked interesting. She lent me her copy. Um, 
So for those who don't know, it was written by a neurosurgeon um, after he learned that he had terminal cancer, uh, lung cancer. Um, and in fact, he, he had died before it was published. And it's the first half, well, it starts off with him having the diagnosis. And the first half is sort of about his history as a, as a surgeon. In fact, starting off as an English literature um, undergraduate and thinking he might go into being an English literature professor, but then... then taking that, you know, normal step to neurosurgery instead. <laughs> I toyed with it myself. Um, and then the second half is about, um, I guess, what happens after the diagnosis and the various stages and things. Basically, yeah, it's beautifully written. Uh, um, I did skip quite a lot of the first half when I got to, like, gory descriptions of um, operations I did not want to read. I mean, they're not, intent- they're not you know, unnecessarily gory. It's just I can't cope with reading that, that, that sort of thing. But the second <laughs> half was, um, yeah, it was really moving. Um I enjoy it, if enjoy is the right word. <laughs> um, and I've just yeah. started um, a book by Jessie Kesson um, yeah. called Another Time, Another Place. And I hadn't heard of her until my friend Phoebe a couple birthdays ago um, gave me two or three of her books. I say, um, she then lived, at that point lived in, oh, she still lives in Scotland, in fact, she just somewhere else in Scotland. But yeah, she, um, she's a, apparently a noted Scottish writer who I'd not heard of. Wow. No, I haven't. Um, it's a nice short book. I thought I'm ready for a short book. <laughs> yes, we both are. Yeah. <laughs> We've done, we did a lot of homework for this episode. A yeah. lot of homework. Yes, I hope you're proud, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> we read for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first half of this episode is a topic that I think was suggested by my mum. So thanks, Anne, for that. <laughs> um, which is... Uh, novels set in one day versus novels set over many years, although we may loosen the one day um, <laughs> <laughs> rigor because I've not come up with that many and Rachel had forgotten what we were doing. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, <Simon. laughs> I, I think the, the mystique went a while ago, Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you know that there is a name for books set in one day? I didn't. Circadian novels. Nice. Circadian, as in circadian rhythm, or well, I guess that must be related to the day as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well, I'm gonna file that in my pile of interesting words that I'll use in lessons that make kids think I'm clever. I learned that from the Guardian. I think so. Thanks to the Guardian. Right. When I was googling novel set in one day to see how many I read. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you start talking about which ones, or which prefer or anything like that, which books set in one day have you read? Well, I mean, I can't think of I I can't think of anything. Um, you start, and then I'll see what comes yeah. to mind. <laughs> one fine, it's one fine day set on one day. Um, it's set on the same day, but it's this, um oh one fine day. Sorry, I was going to mix up with briefly with one day. Um, <laughs> yes, one fine day is, isn't it? I think it yes, is. Yes, I know one. Okay, brilliant. By Molly Pantadowns. Yes, it's a yes. really lovely book about um, sort of. Uh, well, you say it, <laughs> since I may be stealing your only one that you thought of. <laughs> yeah, that's literally, I have one, that's it, for the whole episode. Um, it's about um, a woman called Laura and her husband, and it's set just after World War Two, and it's about her kind of appreciating, waking up to the fact that she's free again, and the experience of just her going through that everyday life, and it's her thought processes, and it's a beautiful book, really life-affirming. Well, in fact, we did an episode on it, didn't we? We compared yeah. it uh, with um, London War Notes, also by Money Printed Downs. So oh, yes. Go back and listen to that. It's, who knows what episode it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Well, one that I'm pretty sure you have read, uh, famously set on one day, is Mrs. Dalloway by Virginia Woolf. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. With um, yeah. all the clocks chiming throughout, so to tell you mm-hmm. which part of the day you've got to. Um, which I a book that I really love, and I, and I think it works really well in that case to um, to yeah move sort of gradually throughout the day. Although I think John Sutherland wrote an essay in one of his um, Can Jane Be Happy or whatever they were called series about sort of trying to plot Mrs. Alloway's route across London and how impossible it would be to do it in the time suggested. <laughs> but there you go. Um, although in that in that novel, yeah. of course, there are flashbacks and all sorts, so it's not quite one day. Um, the other ones I wrote down, Ulysses, all set in one day. No, I've, you know what, I've, I've tried reading that book so many times, never made it past the first chapter. Uh, well, yeah, we had to for, for a seminar, otherwise I wouldn't have bothered, probably. <laughs> yeah, you, I just didn't go to mine. 
Um, Saturday by Ian McEwan is also on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah, haven't read it. Um, wait, we'll talk more about these, I guess, if I'm put out a listen on it. Uh, Seize the Day by Saul Bellow, which I have read, but I had forgotten was set in one day until I saw it on these lists. Yeah. the only Saul Bellow I've read, but, um, which I did really like. And the only, and the last one I have is, um, Cheerful Weather for the Wedding, I think is set just on the day of the wedding. Um, oh possibly, yeah. Possibly starts the night, night before. I can't remember. But, um, oh, Miss Pettigrew lives for a day. Is that oh, of course, yeah. Persephone is stocked full of these things. Well, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, presumably, the hours um, by Michael Cunningham is that over a day as well? Yes, I think it is. So obviously, three different people's days at different times, but yeah. all over just the course of one day as well. Um, so why do you think authors choose to set a book in one day, or, or choose a circadian novel, if you will. Oh, so intellectual. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think there's something very interesting about condensing time, isn't there? And if you take away the need to um, sort of develop characters and relationships over a long period of time, what you can do is focus very much on, on the interior mind of the character, and you can think about... Um, they tend to be more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Introgressive? That's not a word. I can't think of it. Introspective. Thank you. It's this 32 degree heat, guys. They tend to, yeah, they tend to be novels that look inside of your, look inside of the person, and rather than focusing on seeing somebody grow and change and things, you see a kind of. It tends to be focused on a particular defining moment in somebody's life, and a realization and awakening of something. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think often it is, because obviously there's not going to be that much plot, probably, or at least not Mm. that much um, long-term cause and effect, it does really just hone in on people's response to things. I think that's particularly true in something like Mrs. Dalloway um, or in Cheerful Weather of Wedding, where it is just... um, Well, I guess it's similar Mrs. Dalloway is looking at one person's thoughts, mostly, uh, whereas Cheerful Weather of Wedding um, and... um, looking through this list, and probably Saturday as well, goes to and from different uh, people's perspectives and different people's mm. things, seeing how different people view the same event. It's yeah, less I, reflective, I, I guess. Yeah, those sorts, I find that really interesting, actually, when you've got uh, novels when everybody's experiencing the same day, but they're experiencing it in slightly different ways, and looking at how one experience can be so... Um, differently experienced you know people can be in the same place at the same time and be be coming at mm-hmm. that from completely different perspectives and you don't get that in a novel that's you that's long you can have people you know experiencing the same emotions or relationships etc but you don't get that real um intensity which i i find really interesting in those those novels and I, what I often find quite interesting about circadian novels is that you don't necessarily even realise that it's happening in a day when you're reading mm-hmm. it. It's, because when some there's so much um, thought going on and so much interesting um, interiority happening that you don't necessarily realise, hang on a minute, we're not moving forward in time at all. Um, there's so much that's happening inside that person's head that that's the interesting thing. That's what's propelling you forward. And since you mean, I hadn't even thought about Mrs. Dalloway being set over a day at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is um, there's sort of two approaches an author can take. They either um, it's, it's in one day to show that it's all about normality and just give a slice of life. And I think yeah. One Fine Day is sort of the example, it's yes. a great example of that. Um, and then there's some which are like, it's one that day because it's a huge event happening that day. Um, yeah. And that's what Saturday did with the whole like hostage taking and all sorts. Um, mm-hmm. And I definitely prefer the normality one. I think I think if someone, if you're going to pick that technique, it's, it's I think it works best if it's because it's it is just the everyday in every sense. Yeah, it is just like a normal day and it's representative of a whole. Yeah. If it's all about some huge thing that happens on that day, then I feel you've lost the build up and you've lost perhaps what comes afterwards or something. Um, and it's slightly make slightly less sense perhaps to do it all in one day yeah i think when it it's like a life-defining moment or a kind of shocking event or something 
what's interesting about those things is seeing the aftermath of it. Yeah, and if you're yeah. only setting it during that day itself, then you're not going to see the psychological impact of it, which is what the, the, the psychological nature of those slice-of-life novels, the ones that are representative of a whole, as you said, are what makes them so interesting. And I think too often um, these days, certainly, novels seem to be praised for the plotting and for the action mm -hmm. And, and the interiority and those thoughts about life that can be so touching and moving when you read them about thinking, oh, yes, you know, that's exactly how I feel about that. Or that's exactly my experience of doing the washing up or whatever. <laughs> you lose those those moments of, of really feeling that connection with the author and the characters in novels that rocket along because somebody's been murdered outside yeah, of a train yeah. and everyone wants to find out what's happening etc and it must be much harder to sell to a publisher and then in turn to sell to the public you're like this novel is just about someone living their life yeah because <laughs> um, you can't stick a blurb on and be like this is like all of Jodie Pico's novels or whatever where it's like this is about this yeah. issue or it's not it's like it's just about a day of someone yeah. doing not very much <laughs> um, well let's look at the other side as well um how how long do you th how much time do you think the longest no how am I going to say this how much time do you think is covered in in a novel what's the most time you've read covered in a novel <laughs> <laughs> that was a hard question to ask it was a hard one to ask it might be easier to answer I'm so hot I'm so hot <laughs> I can think of um, I'm just trying to think actually um, I know there's novels I've been the Sort of the sagas that I've read mm. of families and things, you know, that you read from a, over a sort of a hundred years, um, and that the years is set over by Virginia Woolf is set over quite a long period of time. I think that's from the late nineteen hundreds up until the nineteen forties. Um, so yeah, I tend to. I think the longest period probably in a book that I've read is about a hundred years. Yeah, and it's surprisingly common that that sort of thing happens not often in a short book perhaps but um, no. um i think i can't remember how many years it is but certainly centuries in the corner that held them by sylvia townsend warner which oh. um is the history of a nunnery between let's say 13 something and 16 something although it almost certainly isn't that but you know it's <laughs> it's certainly medieval at some point um yes and of course there's time travel novels and things oh sure yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah, I found the Quantum Heldon extremely boring. I think we talked about when we did the Lolly yeah. Rose. A lot of people love that book. Um, don't let me be off anyone. <laughs> but oh my gosh, it was that old for me. And I think that's when, that's what I think about when I think um, of what I'm looking for in, in time and novel. And, and I, I enjoy some that are set spread over generations. And I think Ritual Crompton does that quite often. In her, and her yes. novels are so easy to read. Like Weatherly Parade is set over various generations I think and certainly she she's not quite the sort of family saga that some are but you know it's it's um it still goes takes uh, goes over a long period and that means each generation or each sort of yeah um stage in those lives is is covered pretty quickly and it's, you don't often get a lot of nuance in terms of um in the way that you would in something like 1.8 but um but they sort of rattle along they're good fun and you still get enough because you see the person develop I guess and you see the, the similarities and contrasts over time, but with the corner that held them because it was so many years, mm. you just I just felt like I didn't care. I think it was <laughs> <laughs> um, when I knew that everyone who turned up would die within like twenty pages or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's there's a kind of a limit on on how much you can be expected to involve yourself in a story when you've got an enormous stretch of time between characters or characters die and then new ones are replaced are replacing them. I think what works well for me is when you've got a novel set over 50 years or so within the lifespan of a character. So mm -hmm. you've got a building and you get like something like, you know, uh, David Copperfield or um, Great Expectations, something like that, where you see a child grow up into a, into a adult and you see them go from perhaps a difficult childhood and becoming successful or going through all the struggles of, early um early adulthood really that's that's really interesting and what i find works really well is novels that are set over the turn of a century or between two um very specific events so for example novels set before world war one and mm -hmm. then after world war one or between the wars or over the course of you know the first 50 years of the 20th century because you see the change in um cultures the change in expectations the change in how um people 
that in the earlier period, the restrictions that they had, the decisions that they couldn't make, and then you see the freedom gradually growing and the attitudes of of the the newer generation and thinking, you know, why on earth did you make those decisions? Why couldn't you do this, that and the other? And that lack of understanding between the generations. And something, a novel that really struck me on, on that note was The Age of Innocence when I read that to see the difference in um, the generations and how if, um, I can't remember the main character, I could see his face. Newton Archer? Yes, Newton Archer, yes, thank you. To see how his children effortlessly um, live the life and, and do the things that he wished to do, um, but that he was never allowed to do in his society. And you have that sense of real sadness of thinking, gosh, if only he'd been born 50 years later, mm-hmm. he would not have been so miserable. And he's now forced to watch his children having the freedom of all the choices that his society and his desire to please the society that he grew up in didn't allow him to have. Um, and I think there's those sorts of novels that are purposely set over a longer period of time so they can explore those issues are really, really interesting. And I love that contrast of generations. Yeah, I think um, I think you're at particularly novels, as you say, where you get the whole life and death of someone, like you know, Life and Death of Harriet Freeman by Mason Clare, yeah. um, A Last Lady by Richard Ferguson, I think, does something similar. Mm. Um, where, you, where it is over a period where something has particularly changed in say, you know, the rights of women or whatever. Um, I, I think where it loses me is if you get several whole generations in a book. I think I want the, at least one character from page one to be alive by the end. <laughs> That's essentially what yeah. I'm after. Because um, I feel otherwise I do just lose touch, I guess, with... Um, with a with a thread that's pulling me through the book, I want I want there to be at least one character who's sort of holding my hand from beginning to end. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's so many that that do do that. And it doesn't have to be like David Copperfield, where it is just a central character doing that. But I, I think if you if you do see clashing generations or or you know social, particularly social changes where it's not from the people at the forefront or whether it's sort of from people on the sidelines, sort of watching yeah. on. And, and it, um, either you know with regret as you as you're saying, or just you know sort of some sort of impartiality perhaps. It's, it's, I think it's an interesting way to see the shifting uh, stages of a century that you like that's quite different to what would be in a history book. Yeah. Um, one novel I think that sort of combines these two categories both really well, um, which is what I thought you said earlier when you said one point day is one day by David Nichols, which I think mm. you've read as well, haven't you? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's not, I don't think it's great literature. It's very, very readable <laughs> by pace. Yeah. We went through it so quickly. Um, but yeah, for those who haven't read that or seen the, the film with Anne Hathaway's questionable accent, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's set over, I don't know, 20 years or something where every chapter is the same day in the next year. Um, I can't remember which day it is, but say it's every like June the 1st or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really clever storytelling. Although it did mean a lot of things happened on that day that probably, you know, that day yeah. was unusually eventful each year. <laughs> um, but that was a nice way that it was that sort of discipline of putting everything in one day whilst also giving us an overview of many years. Um, yeah. I, I feel it's something that probably other authors wouldn't be able to emulate because it is just, it's, it's that sort of innovative idea that you can't do very often <laughs> before it no. becomes plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was a nice, nice way of handling both. Yeah, no, I did enjoy that book. It was very uh, compulsive reading. Have you read anything else by him? No, I haven't. I started Us and I gave up. I found it really tedious. Which is a shame because one day was exactly the opposite of tedious. It was such a page turner. Mm -hmm. Shame. Yeah. One hit wonder, maybe. Well, maybe. Well, I, well, my friend Tom, I mean, he loved it, but um, I just found it sort of crushingly self indulgent. <laughs> <laughs> But it's all about someone whining about their unhappy marriage. It's like, well, stop whining and start trying to fix it. Which perhaps he did by the end. I don't know. I gave up on page 50. So. Wow. Anyone who's finished ours can tell me if I'm wrong. And I will not read it again. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a couple of his other books. Of course you do. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, do you think authors tend to pick one of one of them stick to it or are they a bit more variety I think it's very rare to find a one day novel these days that's true I think it's very tricky 
to find enough to say. And I do tend to find that novels set during one day, apart from Ulysses, um, are very short mm-hmm. for that reason. Um, and I think, like I say, the trend very much in literature these days is for it to be plot rather than character focused. And one a one day novel just doesn't lend itself to that. I was thinking that we should extend it to you know a short period of time, but then thought. I couldn't think of many that were set over, say, two or three days, but I guess it might be like you're saying that you don't necessarily notice. Yeah. Um, or, you know, again, the heat. <laughs> <That's gonna be laughs> <blank. laughs> well, The Enchanted April is set over a short period of time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at my bookshelves now, frantically <laughs> looking for inspiration. Um, and let me see what else we've got. Um, I guess a lot of Agatha Christie's and that sort of thing, a lot more, most detective novels are set over a short yeah. period of time as well. Um, yeah, like there's that kind of a week or or two weeks or a few days when they're sort of stuck in a house. And I think yeah, also yeah. there's lots of novels that are static in time, like so the, the narrative voice is static in time, but they're they're looking backwards at their mm, lives, mm. they're telling a story. So technically they're not moving anywhere, but they're revisiting. So you're sort of in one place, and yeah, the yeah. person is is talking about like maybe something's happened to trigger them talking about a past experience. But then that's different because you're still getting that spread of time. Isn't all of um, Proust set in one one day, technically? I don't know. I've never read it, I have yeah, to say. Neither have I. But I've read two books about reading Proust. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same thing. Yeah, I'm just edging my way up to it. I did buy two, the first two volumes in sort of after, after I'd read um, My Year of Reading Proust by someone. <laughs> oh, what's her name? I'll put it in the um, notes. <laughs> um, that um, turned out to be mostly just about her life, but it was still really interesting and it did make me think, oh, I should go and read some. But obviously, I got, only got as far as buying some. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Phyllis Rose, that's your rating. Oh. Um, so I guess perhaps the default is that you just don't notice how long a book is set over, or at least I don't. Um, if it's between, you know, a week or so and only 50 years you just don't really think about it do you no i think it's something that i mean certainly we when you're looking at um kind of plays and things plays obviously tend to be set for a short period of time um and that can be really interesting like shakespeare's use of time is very interesting and something else uh, another novel where time is not mentioned at all that you study a lot in school is lord of the flies where we never actually know for sure how much time has passed between them landing on the island and, and the end of the novel. Um, and sometimes I find that lack of time is really interesting um, because it makes you think, gosh, how long does it take for these things to happen? Um, you know, the, the Lord of the Flies could be could have been three days, could have been, you know, two months, could have been two weeks. I mean, the only t- marker of time is the length of the boy's hair. Okay. Simple confession that I've never actually read it. It's a very good book. One day. Yeah. I flicked through it once to tell my dad that I'd read it, but I, I, don't, <laughs> I actually read more than a page every in one in 20 or something. That's very good. You have to be at um, the right place to appreciate it, I think. Okay, not an island. <laughs> no. <laughs> Definitely um, not. <laughs> yeah. So if you were... Uh, do my, my usual my instinct test. If you're looking at... Um, a blurb for a book you didn't know anything about on the shelf. Um, mm. Which of these do you think would be more likely to appeal? Oh, I'd probably be, I'd probably be more interested in the one day because it's more unusual. Mm-hmm. And I'd think, oh, I'm not, I'm more likely to get something different from this, or I'm more likely to get something that's going to make me ponder life and you know, find there, there'll be a richness, an emotional richness to it that I might not find in a in a novel set over a longer period of time. How would you react? Um, I think the same. Um, partly, I guess partly because the word saga has sort of been taken up by the, you know, fairly trashy books. <laughs> trashy is not the right word, but, you know, those sort of very light things about, you know, someone... I'm trying to think. I can't think of any of the authors who do this sort of thing, but, but you, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, yeah. airport novels for, yeah, aimed, yeah, yeah. aimed at the older woman, perhaps. I don't <laughs> But um sort of thing Catherine Cookson probably wrote, although I've never read anything by her. Um, and I think, yeah, I am 
find the possibility of ingenuity in in the one they look really intriguing. And I think it must be so much harder to write as well than than a novel set over a, a, a longer period of time, because you can't just fill it with incident. You really do have to um, work to make every page interesting, even if something isn't actually happening. Yeah. Um, and indeed, I think that would be my choice overall. I would choose the the one day versus the many years. Wow, we're we're in accord. Yeah, we are. Yeah. Cool. So, speaking of books that, in fact, both said over quite short periods of time, but within books that are said over series that said over <laughs> long periods of time, just to get the best of both worlds, um, I think that this came about when um, I know that you actually have been a big a big fan of the Catholic Chronicles, and I wanted to. Um, placate you for having read <laughs> books that I <laughs> that I stipulated in the last, the last episode. Um, <laughs> so I thought, I'll read the light years. What should we compare it to? And I tweeted, what should we compare it to? Um, three people, um, for two of them, to Kara and Curzon, and then my friend Lorna, who's also a big fan of the Cassette Chronicles, all suggested the Foresight Saga. So thank you, everyone, for coming up with that um, idea, which I, is one of those books I've always meant to read. Mm-hmm. Um I'm never going around to. Never yeah. around to. Never even owned, actually. And because I'm doing Project 24, oh. I had to try put a plea out on Facebook for this one because the library didn't have it. I probably complained about this last time. My friend Fiona lent it to me while she was happily um, visiting from Germany. So, yeah. great. Fantastic. Um, would you like to give us a brief introduction to one of them? Uh, yes, I'll go for the, for, uh, the Foresight one because um, I've just read it and obviously I haven't just reread. Hazlitt, so I can't remember exactly where the first one stops. I don't want to ruin anything. Okay. Um, so, shall I go first? Sure. So, um, A Man of Property, which is the first in the Foresight Saga, which is three main books, but it's also got some random ones in the middle, apparently. I looked up online. Um, there's yeah, nine in total as well. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. I mean, who knows? So there's th- three separate trilogies. Oh, gosh. And then extra bits thrown in, yeah. <laughs> We've barely scratched the surface then. So um, it's set around the story of, so the Foresights are the family and there's an older generation of brothers and sisters and then their children and then their children's children, basically, in this first one. Um, though most of the children's children are still quite young. And it's the story is set mostly around Stones, who is the son of James, the one of the older generation, and his wife, Irene, um, and Irene is having uh, is is not happy with Soames. Basically, Soames wants loves Irene desperately, but she's I'm going to break in there in proper Edwardian style. It's Irene, I think. Oh, yeah. is Irene? Okay, sorry, yeah. Irene. Yes, of course, from the TV series. I yeah. forgot. Um, <laughs> Irene, and um, she is not in love with him. And at the, around this time of the, when the novel opens, Soames decides that he wants to move to the countryside. And it just so happens that um, his, I don't even know what she is, great second cousin? Oh, who, gosh, yeah, I put family tree later. <laughs> many. Second cousin, June, um, is engaged to Bossany, Philip Bossany. He's an architect, and they're not allowed to get married because at, at the moment because Philip doesn't earn enough money. Um, so Soames thinks he'll do June a favour by hiring Bossany to come up with plans for a fancy new house out in the countryside. Um, and what Soames doesn't know is that in doing that, he's going to introduce his wife to, um, well, not introduce, but encourage what is already um, a love affair between Irene and Philip. And it's the fallout of that love affair that takes up the whole of that first novel. Thank you. Um, so that one was published in 1906, and I think set around the same time, isn't it? Yes, I think so. Um, whereas um, The Light Years was published in 1990, but set in 1937 and 1938. Um, so obviously looking back a bit. And it's, it's one of the things where I realised, not long after I finished reading it, in fact, possibly whilst I was reading it, I couldn't remember very much of what had happened, which I'll come on to <laughs> more about why, why I think that is later. But um, broadly, it's two different summers in the um, house of... Um, the Brig and the Duchy, who are William Cassidy and his wife Kitty, um, and they're counting them four children and <laughs> eight grandchildren. Um, in fact, there's even more turned up because later on a, a cousin's family turns up, just when I thought I'd, you know, got to t- got my the hang of the <laughs> Um, and it's really more, I think, about the people and the atmosphere and the moment in time, or the moments in time. 
um, rather particularly than plot. There's plenty of things that do happen. So you've got um, Edward's having an affair from his wife Viola. You've got um, Rachel who has her own sort of thwarted, it's not really love affair, I guess, but you know, thwarted romance with um, Sarah. I won't, I won't say anything about Sarah because that was a great twist for me. Yeah. <laughs> that was really well done. Um, got uh, Rupert and his young second wife who's struggling to be a stepmother to their children. You've, um, I can't remember much about what Hugh and Sybil do, but they're there as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and you've got all these children preparing for school as well and the anxiety about that and sibling rivalries and cousin rivalries. Um, so there's always things going on, there's plenty of things going on, but um, most of them seem to come in like, I don't know, like threads for that section and then they fade out again. Um, or not even fade out again, but it's not like there's great mo- great plot lines running through that affect everything no. into end in the way that, as you say, Soane's um, and Irene's um, marriage is really the central thread of, of Man of Property. Yeah. Um, but yes, as I say, I only read the first one, and there's five of these. Um, five, is that right? Yes. Yes. So who knows what happened later, but it is, it is um, I found it really, yeah, really interesting to read about that sort of antebellum period when their life is still pretty idyllic. Um, yeah. Beyond these sort of, you know, everyday heartaches and squabbles and things, but the world was pretty, um, I guess people knew where the bad things were happening. They do talk about... Well, they, they've got a lot of confidence in Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> so, yeah. Spoilers, that doesn't work out quite as well as we <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it does... It really um, captured, for me, that, that atmosphere of a privileged family at that time. And it was one of those few books that when I was when I went back to reading it after you know putting it down for a day or whatever, it felt... It almost felt like coming home. It was really nice. Yeah. It was... And, and I think the only things I've had that with, like, I think of The L-Shaped Room by Limby Banks, I, I felt like that whenever I, I was, even though it was a horrible <laughs> house, <laughs> I, it, it felt like going back to a community that I knew and loved whenever I reread it. Um, and this one, yeah, it does just feel like you can sink back into atmosphere, and then as soon as I finish it, it's all pretty much gone, but I loved it while I was reading it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that when I started reading the, the first Casimir novel, I mean, I was just overwhelmed with how involved I felt in all of their lives straight away. I felt like I knew these people forever. And I loved the voice, voices of the characters. I felt mm-hmm. like each of them was such an individual and how she kind of flits between their different viewpoints. And sometimes you get quite a long chapter on somebody and sometimes you get quite a short one. But at the end of each chapter, I was just like, oh, I'm desperate to know what happens next with that person. But then I'm also then instantly sucked into the viewpoint of the next person. And I felt like I knew all of the characters really well. And that's something that um, I felt was quite different about reading the Foresight Saga. It was interesting because I didn't know what to expect at all. Um, mm. I mean, I'd seen the TV series um, back in, you know, what, 10 odd years ago. So I knew this, the storyline, but I didn't know how the narrative would be. And I was expecting that sort of movement between um people and being able to get inside the heads of each member of the family and it's not like that at all really you you the, really picked and chosen who he wants us to get to know and there mm-hmm. are a lot of people i mean i don't know whether perhaps maybe later on in the in the saga you're going to be um introduced more fully to other characters but i felt it was very much Soames's story I, not so much even a really story because you never really work out she's definitely just the sort of a cipher, I guess. You know, yeah. it's, so, it's almost like you're seeing her from Sam's perspective of not really understanding what she's thinking or what motivates yeah. her. Or, yeah. And, you know, June was very vaguely sketched. So is Bosony, really. I mean, it's just, it's James and it's old, um, it's James and old Jolien and uh, Sam's book, really. And not even really James. I'd say old Jolien and Sam's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe young Jolien a bit as well. Yeah. So that's sort of, I can't remember if you said before, but that's a sort of parallel storyline in the book where um, old Jenny, who's the grandfather, no, sorry, father, who um, is reuniting with his son, young Jenny, um, yeah. who he sort of disowned when he ran off with this um, woman he's never can't remember. <laughs> um, um, his, wasn't it the, the children's governess? Oh, right. Um, yeah. So he, he abandoned his young daughter, June, and, and old Jenny chose... Um, to stay in touch with, or to stay close with June and not look at his son, but after this gap of many years, does get back in touch with 
um, young Julian and his two children, one of whom was also called Julian. Yeah, it's all very confusing. And he's got, yeah, he's got two children. One's called Jolie and one's called Holly, and they're called Jolly and Holly, which I just. (laughs) It was absurd. Yeah. Um, I spent so much of my last few weeks flicking to and from family trees in both these books. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness, there's. I mean, I I find it hard. Hard to cope with that long of characters in a book because it takes me a while to sit. Well, it takes everyone a while, I guess, to try and yeah. fully form who these people are. And I did watch the TV series, but I remember almost nothing about it. Um, I only really remember little bits of. Um, in fact, the th- I think the only scene I remember because it was so well done and so surprising was the marital rape scene. Yes. Um, which is, was really shocking. Um, actually, let's talk about that for a second. Um, so, yeah. um, in the novel, we don't. You see the scene, you only see the morning after where yeah. Soane's is regretful about it and is thinking he can't get her sobbing out of his mind. Yeah. Um, and because I, I was thinking, obviously, I was in the TV series and I was reading about it, and like, surely he's not going to show it. And I think even though we don't show it, it's still, I found it quite surprising for a 1906 novel that it was described as much as it was. Yeah. I think. Sorry. No, go ahead. Particularly what? I was going to say, particularly given that. Well, when, do you know when marital rape was recognised as a crime? I think it was much later than that, wasn't it? 1991. <gasps> Stop it, really? It's insane. 1991 in the UK, I think 1993 in the US. Oh my up goodness. Un- up until then, it was, it was legally impossible for a man to rape his wife, which is firstly horrifying. Secondly, makes this scene where he doesn't use the word rape as far as I can remember, but... Um, Obviously, he shows that it's wrong and not something she wanted and, so, and something he regrets. Um, really really ahead of its time, I think. Really interesting yeah. that they put that in an otherwise quite sort of gentle societal novel, I guess. Yeah. No, it is. And something that I found quite troubling and about the book, not troubling in, in terms of morally, but just for a reader, is is that I, I felt like I was supposed to dislike Soames. But... I couldn't, I mean, obviously, apart from that moment, mm-hmm. um, but actually, and certainly from watching the series, the way that Damien Lewis yes. plays him, yeah. he's, he's very much a horrible person, and you can imagine why she d- detests him. But in the novel, it's perhaps because we see it so much through Soames's perspective, there's nothing really that he does wrong. And there's no yeah. reason for her to hate him as much as she does. I completely agree. Like, obviously... The rape is horrifying, but apart from that, I felt much more sympathy to him than I was expecting. Because in the in the TV series, I just remember him being evil, um, or you know, if not evil, at least very bad. Mm. Um, he reminded me a lot of um, the husband in *A Pin to See the Peep Show* by Afton Suggestion a yes. while ago, where it's an unhappy marriage, but he's doing his best most of the yeah. time um, and just can't understand why it's not working. Or um, yeah. And he definitely, obviously, goes too far, not just in that rape scene, but also in sort of de- eventually demanding that she, you know, behave like a wife to him and, and, you know, love him because he's her husband or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, p- but the early stages of the I did feel really sympathetic for him. That he's, he's ended up with, with this woman who, again, I feel sorry for her as well because she said she was quite reluctant to accept his proposal. She was thinking... Well, she, apparently she got him to promise that if it didn't work out, that he, they could yeah. leave each other, which, I mean, divorce hadn't been legal that long at that point, had it? I don't, well, I mean, obviously but, since Henry VIII, but yes, it hasn't been accessible, I guess. Yeah. Um, that long. Um, so it was, I think, a, sort of a much more nuanced picture of an unhappy marriage than the TV series suggested. And I, 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 I loved reading about it because it was such good writing, even if it was yeah. quite hard to read about. I think it was it was really interesting, and you know, just to clarify for people who haven't read it, the the marital rape happens literally right at the end of the novel. So you've got the whole previous section where mm. Irene just basically refuses to speak to him. There's a complete lack of communication between them. She's very cold towards him, and you know, yes, obviously she's felt forced into marrying him because she's penniless and she obviously needed to marry somebody. But she's a very beautiful woman, and presumably she had other offers. So. You know, she chose Soames. She nobody forced her to marry him, and mm. she just seems completely unwilling to even try. And he's not cruel. He wants to make a nice life for her. And yes, you know, there's elements of the text like he enjoys telling her about his day and everything else, and he likes to bite. Like he does treat her as a possession, of course, but he's not horrible to her. And he's trying the best. He's he's being the only husband he knows how to be. 
um, and she's not really giving him anything back. And it's hard to feel sympathy for her when we aren't really allowed into her head whatsoever. And I do wonder maybe if that's why um, Goldsmith wrote in the rape, if he wanted. Yeah. I don't know, to make it more cut and dry, because obviously there's no excuse for that. Um, mm. So, um, I mean, in some ways, it was. I think it's really brave movie, and it worked really well as a novelistic feature. As, yeah. On the other hand, it made it slightly less subtle, I guess. Um, yeah. I... Um, kept thinking, I kept forgetting it wasn't a book by Alan Bennett. So <laughs> I've only read one, The Old Wife's Tale, but it was so similar um, in terms of writing. And I've often seen those two names together. You know, I've not read any girls over before, but whenever I've been, you know, researching my default or reading a, about early 20th century novels, it, they always seem to put Bennett, Goldsworthy and, Goldsworthy and Wells together. And I don't think Wells particularly fits with those two of the ones I've read, but... Um, but they seemed really similar, uh, um, and both much funnier than I realised, because this, although this is dark moments, I did find it a really amusing book as well. Yeah, it is. His depiction of um, the older brothers and the things that they say, like James always saying, nobody tells me anything, um, <laughs> and they and their habits and the and the, the spinster sisters and everything. It is is very um, tongue in cheek, and yes, I love how the narrator is very tongue in cheek about the foresights in general because he always seems to be mocking them because they're yeah. very proud, they're very solemn. The, ho- the whole thing about property going out, all of them are very keen that they've got good investments and they've got property and that's yeah. the big thing, which I just find it really amusing that they've got that strong pride and, and the narrator is undercutting that by sort of just, not not even just mo- mocking it, but just sort of stating it with sort of, I know, fake solemnity. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, it's a very, it's, it's interesting as well because the narrative voice in, um, the Cazalets is completely absent. There isn't one. Yes. yes. Um, and the Foresight Saga, that it is very much the narrative voice, whereas we enter completely into the heads. And it's not in the first person, but it's you enter into the heads. Um, would we call it free and direct discourse? I don't know if I go that as far to say it was that. but it's, it's Not quite, but yeah, that, that sort of line. That kind of line of um, whereas you, you kind of really feel that you're listening to the voice of each of the, of the individuals as, as you read it. And I felt that the Cazalets, I really did get to know each of each of the people and I understood their motivations and their fears. And I even if some of them are slightly more like Zoe, for example, is is quite difficult to like in that first book. But but at the same time, you're given enough roundness about her to understand why she is the way she is. And everyone's behavior can be understood, whereas I feel in um, the Foresight Saga, he held back too much on some of the characters so that you couldn't fully understand why they were behaving in the way they were. Um, and that made it difficult for you to understand them fully. Like, for example, we never really find out why young Jolien left his first wife. Like, what was the problem in their marriage? We don't, there's, there's so much that's not said. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting because I started thinking this, I mean, there's even more characters than this, and there are in the latest mm. in the family issue. It's a, oh my gosh, I'm really blanched looking at it. It's so, so many people. <laughs> but as you read on, you do realise it is, as you say, just really a character study of two people with yeah. the surrounding people. And I assume in the later books, we see more from other people's points of yeah. view, and there's more justification for there being so many characters. Because I was reading and thinking, I would cut this character, I would cut this yeah. character. Um, what I did find frustrating, the book I'm reading is all th- the first trilogy altogether. Um, and so the family tree was filled with spoilers. <laughs> so it's also, because I, I seem, I don't know if it covers all nine books or it just covers those three books, but I've got all sorts of remarriages and deaths and things that I now know about because I was flicking to the family tree so often. Um, so That's yeah. That's a shame. Um, it, is a, it is a shame, particularly, I mean, well, I won't say because I want to spoil anything for other people, but yeah, it did give away fairly major plot points, even of the first book. Um, and, and I assume the rest of them. And well, you know, I'm not reading it just for a plot. It does seem I need a, I need. A, I quite like a family tree that just was blank. Perhaps yeah. you're not just tells you names. how people no, yeah. are related to who. Yeah, I don't need I don't need days. <laughs> do you feel that with the Foresight Saga? Do you feel compelled to read on? Yes, I think I I, I really liked it, but I did find it um, not a book I could race through. Yes, and it, and it was quite. Um, Mannered sounds negative, and I didn't mean it to, but it, um, it, it was definitely in a style that I wouldn't want to read it all the time. It, um, 
but I definitely want to read more because I thought the writing was really great. I thought, and um, I think if I wasn't reading it for a podcast, if I could think, I'll read this slowly over you know a few weeks. Yeah. Other things. Um, although by the end of the time I got to the end of it, I'd probably forgotten who half the people were. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas um, Kazakhs, I also would like to read more, but I think neither of them led me to want to pick up the next one immediately. Okay. And, both of them are ones I like. I guess I will slowly read the rest of the series over the next few years. It's, yeah, right. Left off. Well, how about you, The Foresight? Did it make you want to read on? Well, the thing is, I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy, enjoy it very much. I thought the, the writing style was very, very good. And I, I, I was fascinated by, by the characters in the world in which they lived. But like you were just saying, it wasn't a book that I was excited about. I didn't um, get home from work and think, right, I'm just, I'm not going to get on with doing other things. I'm going to sit and read this for another hour. I have to find out what happens next. I didn't mm. feel that compulsion. Whereas with, with the Cazalets, I could not get enough. So it did was, you read all of them in a row when you first started? I, I did, pretty much. I mean, I read all of them within the space of about six weeks. I mean, it didn't help that me, my mum and my sister were all reading the same set of books. So oh, sure. it was yeah. kind of like we were on a relay. As soon as my mum finished, I got the next one. And then I had to hurry up and finish so I'd give it to my sister. Um, so, But it's, um, I found it utterly absorbing. And I kept thinking about the characters all the time when I wasn't reading the book and I couldn't wait to read more and I couldn't bear not to um, to read the next part and I didn't feel that same excitement when I was reading The Foresight Saga and I think it's because it was so focused around Soames and Irini and I didn't massively care about Irini um, or about Soames really um, but they weren't characters that are endearing whereas I felt the characters in the Kazlitz are more endearing like you love them and you want to know what happens to the next and they're all such nice people and it's um well not all of them nice but you yeah. know, like it, they're, they're people who, who you want to find out more about you want to know that they're going to be okay if you see what I mean and also I think the time setting is really interesting because you want to know what's going to happen to them during the war whereas you don't have that with the Foresight Saga you're not you know we're not waiting for World War One to happen because it's 1906 so yeah, exactly. Although, the, so it was weird that the next two were not weird, but perhaps unusual. The next two were obviously in 1920 and 1921, I think, or something like that. So, oh, right, there's a big gap. Yeah, quite, quite a gap, and then the next two in quick succession. And it made me wonder, I, and I don't know with either of these, in fact, if they were initially written as the beginning of the series. I got the feeling with the Catholic Chronicles that it was. Yes, yeah, she um, always planned that as a series. Okay. But yeah, with The Man of Property, I could easily see that as being a lone novel. Oh, yes. Um, although I don't know if you put that many characters in, if it was just going to be a one-off. Yeah, it's interesting though because I think even even carrying on the series and going on to the future, those characters that he's included, they're not possibly they're so old they're not going to be alive for the next one. So what was the purpose in including them? True. Well, it was written in 1920. I don't know if it was set in 1920. So I think I think possibly it was set shortly afterwards. But oh, I see what you mean. Sorry. I just published it all later, um, but I could be wrong. Um, and going back to what you're saying about endearing characters, I, I, I largely agree with you. As you said, I didn't. It's hard to hard to love um, Soames or Irene, even if both of them are in their own ways sympathetic at different times. Um, but Jolien and Jolien and Jolien, <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did find very endearing. I thought I really loved um, the depiction of the relationship between a grandfather and a grand and grandson and granddaughter. Yeah, that was really touching, and not something that I've read much about that isn't. And when it, when it does turn up, it seems to be unduly sentimental. Whereas this one, I think partly because it's coming from that quite um, tongue-in-cheek, rigid narrative voice that he acknowledges that it's ha- that this affection is there, and is and, and is quite you're not cynical about it at all. Sort of slightly quite warm to it, but it's because it's in that ironic voice at the same time. It doesn't feel sentimental. Yeah. Um, and that, and I thought that some really. Um, nuanced bits around that where he said or the narrator says that the reason Julian abandoned herself originally was for the love of little June who was a baby yeah. or a young child um, the reason he brought Julian back into his life was again for the young children yeah. of that marriage and it's that sort of thing I just thought was the way they sort of re- did occasionally reveal the character's intentions that weren't known to them um, I thought worked really well yeah and I think also that 
sentimentality and softness in the heart of somebody who to other people just looks like a cantankerous old businessman who's only worried about how much money he's got and how uh, the value of the things in his house but actually what really matters to him is his grandchild and he's got a real soft spot for children and I loved that kind of peeling away of the layers and you find out to be he's just a vulnerable just as vulnerable to that as anyone else so that was quite sweet. And I did like at the same time that there was that contagious side, and the fact that all mm. these brothers and all the eight brothers or something, yeah, um, all obsessed with how much money the other ones have, and none of them will tell the others how much yeah. money they have. So they're all just wondering whether or not they've got more money than their brother. And mine's quite easy. I know that my brother has a lot more money than me, so it's, like, <laughs> it's not a mystery. But, um, but I like this, and like the only way that anyone ever finds out is at the wheel reading. So, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I. So something is where I probably should read the next one and the next one of the Catholic Chronicles before I forget who all the characters are. <laughs> yeah, I think they do benefit from being read close together. But you know my well-documented um, aversion to long books. I don't know if yes. I can plow into another long one immediately. <laughs> but the thing is, they don't feel long when they're reading them. I felt like the Foresight Saga, it did feel quite long because it took me a while to read it because I wasn't excited by it. But, I mean, I managed to read... The, each of the Cazalet books maybe in three days. True, they do feel, they are quite, well, they're very basic. And I think that it's a, possibly the main difference between them, which is interesting to see both, both books in sort of outline are quite similar, like mm. these rich, privileged dynasties in the early 20th century. But it is that writing style that makes them so different because yeah. Elizabeth Jane Howard's writing certainly isn't bad by any means, but it's sort of just a mirror, to, a sort of mirror, a window to look through. It's not really... There's, there's nothing obstructing in the writing. It's just showing you these people and these events. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of the Fosazega is about the writing. It's about the style. Yeah. And I think closing on neatly, that might ultimately be why. And this was a re- this was one of the trickier decisions for me. Oh. I think I might be might as well <clears throat> go with the Man of Property, the Fosazega, just because I liked the writing so much. And I, I think I def- there definitely wouldn't be any similar mood that these two books would, would suit. I'd either want to have a book that I could race through and in love or one that I could sit and enjoy the style but ultimately I think probably a better book than the one I'm going to pick is A Man of Property Wow Well I have to say that I mean for me I actually think that Elizabeth Jane Howard's writing is very good and I think the fact that you don't notice the writing shows how good it is um, she's, it reminds me very much of someone like Anne Tyler or Elizabeth Strout. They write beautifully, but not showily. Um, so they kind of construct beautiful images of things, but it is like you're just looking through a window that like you can just perfectly imagine it. You don't need to think about it. And I think that's a real skill in that. Um, okay. but also, I mean, I just fell in love with the characters and I couldn't get enough. And I just didn't feel that way with the Foresight Saga. And I mean, I would read. I would happily, you know, spend my entire summer just sitting there immersed in the Catholic Chronicles <laughs> again. And I'm very sad that they only ever, they did do a TV series, but only of the first two books. And now they've left it so long that the same cast could not continue. So um, somebody out there needs to redo the Catholic Chronicles. <laughs> so I, I have to, I mean, I really, anyone listening who hasn't read them, I mean, honestly, they're brilliant. I mean, the full, amount of property was good and I'm glad I've read it. And I think I will. Um, carry on and read the others at some point. I'm not in a huge rush to, but I, I would like to read mm, more. Yes. Um, but Catholic Chronicles for me, I mean, it's like I just it was a book is a book that had a profound effect on me, and mm. I would recommend them to everyone. Yeah, well, I'm certainly <clears throat> certainly very glad that I read both these books because I don't think without the podcast I'd have made myself get into books this long. So. Good. <laughs> um, Although, yes, racing to finish them both for the podcast was an experience. <laughs> well, I still meant to read a few other books at the same time. So, oh, ridiculous. I don't know how you managed to do it. I don't. <laughs> That's probably why I forget everything that happened. Great. Well, yeah, so thanks for inadvertently strong-arming me into reading um, <laughs> The Light Years, because I didn't know that you were particularly trying to persuade me, but you know, knowing how much you love them and how much my mum loves them and how much my friend Laura loves them, I was glad of the impetus. To... Good. Read it. And thanks for lending me your copy, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, great. So next time... Oh, we have been so prepared, haven't we, Rachel? Yes, we have. We've done our homework. We have. We've, we've lined up, like, the next 10 or 11 episodes. Yeah. It's extraordinary. We're, basically, <laughs> we went through all the books that we 
have both read and can remember based on reviews on our sites and <laughs> came up the list or books that we've owned and would like to read. Um, so the first one uh, that came up, which we'll be doing next episode, is Illyrian Spring by Ambridge versus oh. um, Hotel de Lac? Hotel de Lac? Yeah. Um, by Anita Bruckner. Um, <laughs> some people may already know my opinion of that one, but I'm going to keep it <laughs> <laughs> quiet. Although possibly have just revealed it until next time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so do long, and we, and I mean, it goes without saying that we haven't decided what we're doing in the first half. You know, you know that we haven't. No. <laughs> so any suggestions people have for the first half, please do get in touch. And similarly for the second half, we can shunt around our list of 11. <laughs> yes. Um, we're nothing great. if not flexible. We are so flexible. Yeah. And it's, and the evening's getting slightly cooler now, so <laughs> I'm feeling more alive. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Great. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.